This episode is sponsored by Intel. By using the power of our technology, scale of our resources, and expertise and passions of our people, we are helping create a more inclusive and responsible culture, industry, and world. We are helping women grow their careers and change the future of technology. And we are taking steps to increase the number of women in technical roles and senior leadership. Our actions support Intel's purpose to create world-changing technology that improves the life of every person on the planet. Glass Ceiling Institute presents Unravel, where we bring together thought leaders, research excellence, and best practices to realize a diverse and inclusive workplace. Well, Michelle, here we are. We are back again. I love this about podcasts. They just never end. They go on and on. You can't stop us. That's right. We are we are unstoppable. It is true. So we have been exceptionally busy. First of all, did you have a nice Thanksgiving, Stacey? I did. It was really nice to be with family again. It was a really wonderful to have four days off work. How about you, Michelle? <laughs> It was, it truly was a break and so different from last year. And, you know, we had friends over and relatives over. It was great. So it felt pretty normal, I have to say, which was something I'm very thankful for. So, so that is behind us. And then it was a short break because we're extremely busy getting ready for the Witty Summit. That is next week, December 7th and 8th. We've got some incredible speakers at the conference, we've got an unbelievable Hall of Fame for this year because we had to skip 2020 due to COVID. So we have some incredible Hall of Fame inductees showing up. And it's going to um, be virtual. It's going to be virtual, right? So anybody can attend. And if you are a listener of Unravel, you can use the Unravel code when you check out after going to summit.woody.com. Click on register. And at the checkout, just put in the code unravel and we would love to see you there. Talk about being thankful. I'm really thankful for the, for the support that we've had from the speakers that are going to be at the session. And again, the, the hall of famers that will be inducted and they are amazing. We have, um, Kara Swisher is being inducted into the hall of fame. She's been such an advocate for diversity as well as women's rights in the technology field. Um, we've got Angie Ruan, who Angie is currently the VP of engineering at Chime, but was recently at NASDAQ, where she was the global technology SVP. The amazing Karen Kintos, who was until recently the chief customer officer at Dell. We have Lisa Jackson, who is the VP of environment policy and social initiatives at Apple. The list is incredible. Um, well, we're going to be celebrating these amazing women and more. So be sure to come so you can be with us in in celebrating women who have done some incredible things in their field and continue to. And of course, our keynote speaker, Guy Kawasaki, is kicking us off. Guy's an incredible speaker. He's such a thought leader. Um, an advocate. And I've seen him uh, completely. And um, he really helps you think through future implications for the technology space. So we're just delighted to have him. So we're very busy getting ready for that. Um, We will be releasing some of the preliminary data from our survey at the conference. So we'll take the first 500 or so results from the study and we will be walking through some of the preliminary data and what that means for the overall research. 
And say more about the narratives that were um, focused on too, Michelle, if you could, with the upcoming survey. Yeah, so the survey has been in the field for about three weeks, but we're right in the middle of doing 80 interviews. So 80 one-on-one interviews that will be written up and will be on the Glass Ceiling Institute website. Um, those are incredible. It's the storytelling. So obviously we're collecting a lot of data, but the narratives tell the story and helps us interpret the data and then ultimately helps us to apply what we think should be standards in the technology space for advancing DEIA or diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. You know, it's it's such a learning experience and the data is a great measurement tool, but it's the stories that yeah. really help affect what I think of as substantive change and accountability, which is really what glass ceiling is about. Mm -hmm. We're gonna have some amazing people being interviewed, you know, different people, men and women of color, uh, all sorts of women who have been instrumental and have to share their experiences of what they've experienced in the workforce. And if you'd like to participate in any way, if you'd like to be involved in the glass ceiling work, or if you'd like to participate, just go to glassceilinginstitute.com, the info tab, and there are links to contact us and to participate. We'd love to have you. And Unravel will be live next week, Stacey. Live? Uh-huh. We're going to go live. What could go wrong? <laughs> Given all the great people that we have showing up, we just don't know yet who's going to drop by. And you can tweet us some questions. So if you go to GCI Official on Twitter, it would be a great way to interact with some really talented and smart women. So with that, we're going to jump to our interview today. So recently we did an interview with Senator Hannabeth Jackson, who was the primary author of California law SB 826, which is infamous now for requiring gender diversity at a board level for California-based companies. I just think this interview is so incredibly important. So really glad we were able to give you this interview and it's so relevant for right now. Huge thanks to Senator Jackson for being here this morning. I saw Senator Jackson first speak about some really important legislation that she was able to sponsor and complete while she was a senator in California. And she, it was a changing point for me when I heard her speak at this event. It was a witty event. It was part of our board, our advisory board. And uh, we had a luncheon and uh, the room could not get enough of what she had to say. And for me, it completely changed the way I thought about what are all the steps that we need to take to create a more diverse and inclusive workplace. So Senator Jackson was kind enough to spend the time with us this morning to talk about the legislation that she did enact and really the steps that she went through in order to take what was a pretty difficult initiative on at the time, because this was about three years ago, right? Three or four years ago. Um, so Senator Jackson, can you start by just giving us an overview of the legislation that you enacted, which was really about female representation on the boards of company companies and um, it's, uh, the bill was, I believe, SB 826. Would you could just give us all an overview of, of that incredible work? And thank you again for being here. 
Well, first, I want to thank you. And that's legislation that I wrote, uh, I think it was 2018. Uh, it was passed. It took me a couple of years to, to get it right, as they say. Uh, but it's legislation that requires publicly traded companies that are headquartered in California have to have women on their corporate boards. So back in 2013, I authored what we call the resolution which is a request, which is sort of trying to bring to the attention of the powers, the, the relevant uh, authorities about a particular issue. It's a request. It's a, what we call a pretty please with a cherry on top, a request that California's publicly traded companies add women to their corporate boards. At the time, only 15.5% of all board seats in California had, uh, were represented with women. And we demonstrated the value of adding women to corporate boards through research that had been done. And this is very important as we go forward. The research coming from groups like Credit Suisse and uh, various other entities, McKinsey, others uh, showed that when you had women uh, on corporate boards, they are more profitable. They're more productive. They have better governance. They take better risk assessment uh, and handle their uh, internal conduct uh, in ways that are beneficial to the shareholder and the company. So we presented that information and we did a resolution uh, that I had authored working with a group called the National Association of Women Business Owners, NABO. They were the key sponsor. Uh, generally, women business owners in smaller companies, but who understand the importance of expanding corporate boards, because many of them could easily sit on a corporate board uh, for a larger company and help make policy. So fast forward five years to 2018. What did we discover? We had moved from 15.5% to 16% of all board seats were held by women. Well, obviously we weren't making a whole lot of progress. So I introduced this legislation that requires companies that have five or uh, fewer um, uh, corporate boards uh, members have to have at least one woman uh, by the end of 2020. And, we, and it goes up from there. So if it, you're now a board of uh, five or more or six or more, you need to have at least three women on your board by the end of 2021. Um, this was a game changer. And of course, a lot of the old, the old boys were furious that they would have to open up the boardrooms. And yet, all the data showed our legislation, the language we use demonstrated that this is a critical component for our economic well-being, the growth of our communities, and also for the opportunity for women 52% of the population to be making these important decisions about how companies operate, what their policies are for their employees, and how they can best compete in today's international marketplace. It, it was incredible legislation. Again, the first time I heard you present it was right after the legislation had been enacted. And then six months went by. And we saw in our own work around analyzing boards and the size of boards, first of all, boards got bigger. I think the average size of boards at the time was about seven. It went to about 11. We saw more committees being formed on boards that were less traditional. So it used to be when you had a board, you were on the board because you were either, particularly in tech companies, you're a tech expert or you had some financial wizardry about you, right? And then we started to see with this new legislation, a complete change in the composition of boards. And it literally happened in six to nine months. 
Oh, it did. And actually what was happening was once it became clear, we, we gave companies, but you know, it's, you have to give and take a little bit. The uh, legislation is uh, in politics of the art of compromise. I didn't want to compromise much because I felt that we had given the data and the data is very clear. Um, you know, changing old habits is not easy, but the data was there that this is good for business. This is good for companies. This is a benefit to the shareholders. Why hasn't this been happening? And it's part of a whole cultural issue about the notion that women um, are either second class citizens or that women don't know enough or because our bodies are different, that we're not capable of performing as well. Absolute nonsense from the beginning of time. And yet, historically, this kind of cultural uh, impediment has been in place. So uh, this legislation basically said, look, we know that if you add one woman to your board, that generally speaking, the men are going to say, go get the coffee. If you have two women on a corporate board, they're going to have the women fighting over who's the one that's going to get the coffee. But if you have three or more women on a corporate board, they're going to say to the men, go get your own damn coffee. And that's the kind of critical mass that we're starting to see. Companies started realizing when this legislation was serious, when it was clear it was going to pass and was passing, many companies said, you know what, we are going to do this. We are going to be in the lead. We had Goldman Sachs announce that they were not going to give any more uh, investment capital to upstart, to new starting companies, uh, venture capital money, to co corporations that did not have women and diversity on their boards. Why? You know, I wish it were because it's the right thing to do. But let's get to, let's get real. It's all about the economics. And that was the key on this legislation. That was the key on the legislation I did on equal pay. It's good for the economy when you pay people fairly and equitably for the work they do. It puts more money back into the economy. When you have women on corporate boards, they have anywhere from 15 to 26 to 40% greater uh, profitability. Why? Well, because you're bringing 52% you're bringing of the population to the table. Women are 70% of the uh, purchasers of goods or, and services. We are the consumers of those, those products uh, that are being made. And so having our voice, our life experience, our different perspective at the table is good for business. It's great for business. Can you just talk? I love the conversation when you talked about how you convinced and how you've got this bill pushed through and sort of all the background work that you had to do in there to convince everybody to get on board. And then you talked about, I think Jerry Brown signed the letter and did this incredible letter at the end of the legislation. Can you talk a little bit about how you convince everybody to, to move this through? Well, you know, again, Change doesn't happen just because it should. It requires real motivation. It requires real commitment. It requires a long, large, heavy duty, loud voice. And that's what we gave this, the NABO organization. We worked in conjunction with so many organizations that understood the importance of this. Women's groups, both uh, from all sides of the aisle, because we know that business people are, you know, they, they are not necessarily political, but they come from all political spectrums. And we had women from both sides of the aisle, as we say, who stepped forward and said, I should not be limited uh, in my opportunities for success because of my gender, because of my physical condition, my, my, my biology. And what we did is we had an enormous uh, coalition 
of groups and some businesses. Not enough because change is hard. P people don't like to change necessarily. Uh, but we brought to uh, together all these different groups. We targeted every member of the legislature from uh, the, the extreme uh, viewpoints of the right wing uh, to, uh, to those who were sort of business oriented folks and demonstrated that this was good for business and also that we are a voting voice. You know, democracy, to the extent it's still there, we, we vote uh, at the ballot box. And if our opinions and policies and values are not reflected by our legislators, we're going to vote them out. And so I think we scared them a little bit, and that's a good thing. Uh, and we, we explained and we were able to give justification. Well, getting to the governor, uh, Jerry Brown, in many ways, was an enormous visionary. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of his vision of the world is exactly what has evolved from the time when he was governor the first time, you know, with jet black hair and Linda Ronstadt on his side <laughs> to, to the Jerry Brown of today with his eminently successful wife, Ann Gus Brown, who was a critical player in this as well, mm -hmm. by the way. So what happened is this bill passed the legislature and we were hearing complaints. Oh, you can't force companies to do this. They're all going to leave California. You know, we argue that have never had any merit that continue to go today. Um, you know, everyone's going to go to Texas. The economy is going to fail. But of course, California's economy continues to be the fifth largest economy in the world. Yeah. Uh, companies start here. They develop here. So um, the governor took a look at this bill on the very, very last day that he could sign it, which happened to be September 30th on a Sunday. Why mm -hmm. is that significant? Because that was the end, the last day possible. And it was at the end of the Kavanaugh hearings for his Supreme Court nomination. And the governor and Ann Gus Brown and the governor's chief of staff, Diana Dooley, had been watching some of these hearings. The governor was very upset at what he viewed to be this kind of right wing male dominated cabal and he said, you know, I'm going to sign this bill. This is a shot across the bow of corporate white male America. He wrote a letter that he sent to the United States Judiciary Committee, Senate Judiciary Committee, telling them that it was about time that we broke open this, this level of uh, discrimination and brought women uh, into places of power and influence. He signed the bill. Um, he actually signed the bill, <clears throat> and Ann Gus Brown signed her name right underneath it. He sent that letter out, and I don't think Jerry Brown ever did anything like that before. I mean, it's that is such a powerful story. And the way that you described how you're able to get everybody on a spectrum of their political persuasion or their business beliefs or maybe their own personal beliefs and get everybody to come to the table and push this through. And again, to me, you can always ask nicely, but I feel like we see really significant changes when there's either legislation or policy or best practices that really um, enforce a different type of behavior at a business level. And, and, you know, I think it's important, too, that we do this in public policy. But I was hopeful and have been pleasantly surprised that corporate America is starting to get this as well. So you have Goldman Sachs, you have uh, BlackRock, you've got the NASDAQ, you've got a whole bunch of major influencers, uh, including CalPERS, for example, that recognize when you have this diversity, 
uh, when you when you bring the best to the table. Um, and and we know there are so many opportunities, so many women now graduating college, uh, graduating from business schools, having experience in the corporate world who need to be at that table, not only for the benefit of the companies, but also for their employees. You know, we bring a different life experience to the table, a valuable life experience. And with the discussion about unequal pay, how, you know, women tend to be paid less because we look at what they were paid when they started off in the working world and they continue to be paid on that basis rather than on what the job itself merits what the pay should be. And of course, in California, not only did we pass my equal pay bill, but we followed up with it on things like uh, prohibiting asking uh, a potential employee what their prior salary was. A job is worth what it's worth and people should be paid accordingly. And of course, we also did legislation that I did uh, last year that's requiring companies in California with 100 employees or more to let us know uh, what they are, the, the different categories of jobs in their companies and where <clears throat> women and people of color sit on that pay scale. In the lower paying jobs, we find a lot more diversity. And as you get higher up the ladder, it turns maler and whiter. And, the, and what we need to do is recognize that, open up the opportunities for everyone, and we're going to see greater success on both the upper levels of management and as we bring people into the workforce. I... And by the way, after that pay legislation was pushed, pushed through, we saw many, many other states adopt a similar um, a bill uh, in Massachusetts. We saw it. And you know what we're starting to see more of now is new bills that require transparency in data reporting. I don't know if that's that you saw in your experience, but building trust between corporations and employees. I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Well, yes, um, two things. When I did the bill on equal pay, uh, one of the problems is that companies were prohibiting their employees from sharing their um, salary and compensation information with each other. So people really didn't know what others were being paid doing similar jobs. Uh, my legislation prohibited companies uh, from banning uh, that discussion between employees, and it's made a big difference. And the pay data bill that, that I referenced, you just referred to, is legislation that I did as well, which requires that transparency. I like to think that companies, for companies, are just putting a mirror. I don't think most companies think they're discriminating. They just don't realize that they have this implicit bias. What we need to do is put that mirror to these companies so that they see what's going on, and so they recognize that they will do better. The world will do better when we recognize and celebrate our diversity. And that's the theory uh, behind all these policies that I've introduced. I think it's the theory behind the discussions that you've been having with this magnificent conference. And it's my hope that as we go out into the world, we are going to have to continue doing this legislation. We've seen in Congress, we can't seem to make any headway uh, because of this uh, intransigence between the political ideologies. But we we need more women at the table. We need women being paid fairly. We need greater equity, whether it's racial equity, ethnic, uh, gender equity. You know, we, the, the world is comprised of brilliant people uh, in all shapes and sizes, and we should be taking advantage of this in upper levels of management. In lower levels, people should be able to go to work knowing that their jobs are secure, knowing that, that they have a safe and friendly workplace, which is why uh, we also have to take a look at things like sexual 
harassment and employment discrimination in the workforce. And we have to work to end those things as well. But with women in the corporate boardroom, I would submit that we're going to start seeing those changes sooner rather than later. It's, it's so true. Even, you know, Senator Jackson, we do a lot of research with our own membership. So we have about 150,000 members as part of the, the witty membership. And um, all of our own data shows that the more diverse an organization is, the less issues they have with discrimination. I mean, you talk just about the business benefits and opening up new opportunities from uh, creating new products or uh, selling to new audiences. Just the risk element alone we see that there's huge payoff there as well as in, in terms of, you know, driving lower risk for organizations. No question about it. Women tend to, you know, it's a generalization, but it's been proven true. Women tend to have greater emotional intelligence mm-hmm. and are more collaborative. Yes. And I think those are critical when you talk about risk. That's sort of the emotional intelligence part of this collaboration. You know, we've been so competitive. And yet when we see when we work collaboratively, we're more successful. Absolutely. And when we see, again, in our own data, the more uh, shift there is at a senior leadership level, where it's at the board or even at part of the executive leadership team, as the percent of women and um, underrepresented minorities increases, so too does innovation at the employee level. So we see particularly women, the more women there are at a senior leadership level, the more of the general uh, employee workforce, they become more likely to believe they're being paid fairly. They think that their company is trustworthy. They believe that um, they tend to be more um, engaged with their job. They tend to be more innovative. It has this incredible downstream effect on the general workers at that organization. And one of the things too, that I think is critically important women, generally speaking, are the caregivers. And it's important for companies to recognize that people have a life outside of work and that that life needs to be respected and accommodated. And we have seen data show that when companies allow, for example, for maternity and paternity leave for their employees, uh, paid sick leave and family leave, their employees are more productive when they get back to work. Uh, They're more appreciative. There's greater loyalty. Uh, It's a win-win because the fact of the matter is that people do not live to work. They work to live. And once a company makes that accommodation and recognizes that, employees tend to be very appreciative. And we're seeing, particularly with younger employees today, they want a work environment that allows them to have a life outside of work. And the women coming in, the younger women today, are asking the question, am I going to be able to provide for my family? Am I going to be able to to meet my responsibilities. What is this company willing and prepared to do to help make my life easier so I can be a better employee and also give the care and consideration to my family that they deserve as well? Interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, with our event this week, I was telling you before we got started here, we've been in Asia and India and Africa and Australia. And I know from your travels and my travels, wherever you go, That's what everybody wants. They want the opportunity to do well, be treated fairly, be treated equitably, and, you know, to launch a career. And that trust piece has become so critical. One thing I wanted to say before we wrap up, um, there were, there was another bill that came in, I think it was last year. So SB 979, which was similar to SB 
826, which was now about board representation for underrepresented communities. So what you started was, I think, just the beginning of what we're seeing as a real sea change. Well, it's important that we open up the boardrooms. Um, it's a, it's a moneymaker. Uh, it's good for the economy and it's good for our society that we bring everybody uh, to the table uh, because we are a diverse world and we should embrace it rather than uh, try to reject it. Just bottom line. It's incredible. Again, I'm just, I'm blown away by the work that you did. I'm so thankful for the years of effort that went into that. Um, again, it has really changed, I think, the composition at a board level forever. And again, Senator Jackson, just hugely appreciative of the time today. You're an incredible speaker. And uh, hope you'll come back again soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wow, that was so inspiring. I am just feeling really motivated by that conversation and um, just really admire women who are doing that kind of work in, in, in politics. We need many more Hannah Beth Jacksons. And it's incredibly important and it's very timely right now because SBA 26, the laws that were put into place have a deadline of the end of this year, 2021. So more to come on that. Yeah, I think it's three women on boards by the end of this year. So it's incredible legislation. We've seen more of it now across the country. And it's just an incredible example of how there are laws already that were protecting diversity and equity in the workplace, including covering boards. But it really took this additional legislation and you know, policymakers who could get behind it and push for this. So I think it's a great example of other things that we need to be doing. Also, yeah, also, also the government wide strategic plan was released quietly last week over the Thanksgiving break. And what? did you read it? Yeah. I mean, it didn't take very long. <laughs> Why is that? It's a little short. I think, you know, there, there had been a deadline as a result of the executive orders that the Biden administration put out around establishing a, a government-wide strategic plan. Um, I'm going to guess there's a lot more detail that's still forthcoming here. I think there were some good parts in here. There's obviously a huge emphasis on data and data collection as a means to affect change and continuous change and improvement over time. Um, I think it's a little bit light on the details. So, um, and they're relying pretty heavily, not just on data, but on a maturity model index that I thought also could probably use some filling out, which I'm sure they'll do over the next several months. But it went out. It went out on time. Um, clearly, this is still an important initiative for the federal workforce. Um, I'd like to see more in here around contractors and ensuring that um, as agencies work with federal contractors that uh, these rules and policies apply to them also. Um, it may be in there. Maybe I've missed it. Um, I'm very hopeful that whatever happens at the government level just trickles down. It starts at the top, right? So that's the whole idea behind the federal workforce being more diverse. The pay equity, I think, is a good emphasis in there, right? I think so. I mean, you would hope that we had figured that out by now, but clearly that's a focus. And data, I can't deny that there's not enough data. I, 
I'd love to know when it's all going to be released and at what level. Um, and once you put data out, you can't take that back, right? It becomes part of an, of an integration of different business models and understanding how the federal government works. Um, so more transparency is clearly required. There was some good stuff in there. It's it's early days, right? This is the first major introduction. And then of course, next in March, in yeah, March, March 23rd, every federal agency has to release their own strategic plan. So we're talking about 70 plus strategic plans for every federal government agency needs to be delivered, which I think, you know, is going to be interesting. I think some agencies have been further along on this path than others. Mm-hmm. Um, there's clearly some agencies where they're very behind. Um, and yet there's other agencies where we know diversity and inclusion has been important from the outset. Like NASA would be one of them, the space program. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where they all put themselves and what improvements they think they need to be making um, over the next at least three years. And, you know, there's annual reviews of these. So for me, I don't know if that's often enough, um, but it's a start. It's a place to start. Yeah. And so these deadlines are all when you say deadlines, you're referring back to the executive order that was um, published in June, right? The 14035 advancing diversity, equity, inclusion and accessibility in the workplace. So all the things that we talk about really reference back to that order and how we are aligned with the work that we're doing with the glass ceiling with that order and those deadlines. We're going to be watching. We're going to be watching the government. We're going to be watching carefully to 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 see what's next and to see what happens and how those deadlines are being met. It's an opportunity for them to set a standard that hasn't really been put in place before. Um, and it's it is on an aggressive timeline. So uh, I'll be looking for the agency reports. That's again the next really big deliverable that I'm looking for. And then of course COVID is back, right? Oh. We've got this new variant of COVID and we're seeing the border, the international borders start to shut down again. Um, It's a huge reminder that we thought that this was long behind us and it's not, I just, I I don't see a short-term solution for this, that something we'll have to live with for a long time and work from home, I think will become uh, a standard. And I think it's a great example too, that when businesses want to, you know, they can turn on a dime, right? We turned on a dime in, in 2020. And in 2019, you know, these large businesses that oftentimes are slow to move, they can move quickly when they need to. So um, I think these executive orders that we're seeing are a great example of how we're going to see laws change and expectations for a corporate culture change. And um, I think this new COVID variant is really going to prove again that if you don't have a healthy workforce, it's going to impact business. Yeah, boy, well, can't wait to see what happens next. I'm really looking forward to our summit, Michelle. I'm looking forward to hearing the the initial results from the glass ceiling. I'm really excited about that, and I hope our listeners are too. And we're looking forward to seeing you there. I'm, I'm just very excited. I think it's an incredible group of women and men that we have assembled mm-hmm. in support of greater diversity, equity, and inclusion. And um, obviously, I can't wait to get started with releasing some of the data that we're collecting and those interviews. I'm really excited for those. Me too. So that's it for us. We're going to be busy all week this week, Stacey. Sorry. But um, by the time we get to end of next week, 
we'll be able to at least take a little bit of a breath, I think. Take a big breath. Yeah. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Unravel. Don't forget to rate and follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. For more content, follow us on Instagram at Glass Ceiling Institute. Follow us on Twitter at GCI Official and visit our website, glassceilinginstitute.com. See you next time.